0: So Psalm 122, a song of ascents. Let's give our attention to God's holy word. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house Of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, in just hearing those verses from Psalm 122, I wonder have you ever been to Jerusalem? I don't know all of you probably well enough. Have you ever been to Jerusalem? Uh, Would you be happy to be able to go someday? We're here in our third Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 122, these travelers' psalms, these sojourner psalms, sung probably particularly as three times a year people made their way up to those three feasts in Jerusalem. But we've been noting that they also provide for us a beautiful picture of uh, for every Christian in this life traveling on our way to glory. And so we are pilgrims. In this life, First Peter. And we are making our way uh, to a great destination. And so these traveler psalms are a great blessing and always have been a great blessing and encouragement for the people of God. As I mentioned last time, we just looked at that first verse, the joy of worship. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. But this afternoon. Want to consider, because it's just so prominent in these verses, the place and significance of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is like a, is built like a city. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so we're singing about this city. Our feet are saying in your gates, Oh, Jerusalem. Uh, over and over and over again, we hear this city's name. Uh, There was a great joy that the people of God had in the Old Testament for those three special trips to Jerusalem. Sometimes it's called Zion, sometimes the city of David. Those are all synonymous. Jerusalem had a special place in the hearts and minds and lives of the Old Testament saints. Psalm 137, verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, Jerusalem... May my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Jews today, often when they meet or get together, will say, next year in Jerusalem, Jews in the dispersion. Next year in Jerusalem. Uh, It has such a special place. And here we're reading of it over and over again. But you may be here tonight, part of this congregation, or visiting, I don't know, and maybe say, wait a second, I thought I was coming to a church. This place advertised itself as a church, not a synagogue. Am I in the right place here with all this talk about Jerusalem? I'm a Christian, or I'm interested in Christianity, not in Orthodox Judaism, I look in the bulletin, oh, Jerusalem, what kind of place is this? Maybe you're new to singing the Psalms, and uh, as you sing them, you can't help but notice how often things like Zion, Jerusalem, the city of David, uh, are spoken about in the Psalms. And you may have wondered yourself as you're singing them, why do we sing so much about Jerusalem anyway? It's a good question. That's a very good question. Does this psalm apply to us at all? Should it apply to us? Is it good and right for us to be singing it? If it does apply to us, why does it apply to us? And how does it apply to us? Those are all great questions. I think we should start by saying, there are some that we could say overemphasize the physical city of Jerusalem. Especially, yeah, Jerusalem in that sense of a city in the Middle East. People have said it's the most contested piece of real estate in the world. Jerusalem there in the land of Israel today. Many people make pilgrimages there still today. Often Christians, it's not uncommon to speak to Christians who have gone to Jerusalem and speak about it with almost a mystical, religious, spiritual experience that they had in going there. Now, there's so much history there, to be sure. It is where Christ walked. Outside the gates of that city is where he Was crucified. But we would be wrong to overemphasize the physical city of Jerusalem. Why? Why would we be wrong to do that? Are we anti-Semitic somehow? Not at all. Not at all. We don't emphasize the city of Jerusalem because Jesus told us not to. That's why. Do you remember when Jesus met with the woman at the well in John chapter 4? If you remember it, you know where this is going, but if you've never heard it before, just listen. Jesus is there in in a a well in the land of Samaria, just north of Jerusalem, and he meets a woman. And she says, after they get talking and Jesus tells her everything about about her life, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. There was a a parallel worship place in Samaria that was set up. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we, we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. We don't emphasize... In our day, since the coming of Christ, the physical city of Jerusalem, because Jesus told us not to, it's not here or there. There is no holy place or holy land, technically, in that sense, anymore. Jerusalem was a special place, to be sure. But even then, it was not special in and of itself, that it had some kind of special soil. Or a a special atmospheric condition that only over Jerusalem the sun always shone every day. There was nothing special in and of itself. It was always, and this is what the spiritual Israelites knew. That the carnal, unspiritual Israelites put their hope in physical things. The temple, the temple, the temple. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That was wrong then. As right as as much as it's wrong now. Jerusalem was always, always a picture and a type of a greater reality. The people of God were called to worship, you remember, initially in that movable tabernacle. And then God said, I will choose a place for my name to dwell, a special place where God's name, all that, that, that He would that characterizes him would be revealed in a special way. The place where God chose for his name to dwell is Jerusalem, was Jerusalem. But in the greatest and highest sense, Jerusalem, as the, as where God chooses his name to dwell to reveal who God is, in the highest sense, Jerusalem points to Jesus. Jerusalem points to Jesus. God's name dwells in Jesus preeminently, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Where on earth is God going to most especially and most wonderfully and profoundly make his name to dwell, reveal who he is? Well, that will be in Christ. Jerusalem ultimately points to Jesus as the place where God's name dwells. Show us the Father. Philip, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, said Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus is where God's name dwells preeminently. We need to see the spiritual reality of Jerusalem. And that's what was true then and is true now. In another sense, Jerusalem points to the church. You have come to God, the judge of all. This is Hebrews 12. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the heavenly Jerusalem that exists now in glory, in that special revealed presence of God. The souls of the righteous already in glory, the angels that surround his throne. We've come to Mount Zion. And of course, Jerusalem points ultimately to the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal home of all the saints with God in glory. To see that, you need to look at uh, the Apostle John's book of Revelation. He says in chapter 21, Then I saw new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this city of Jerusalem always pointed to Christ where God's name is. It points to... Jesus tabernacling among us, John 1.14. That's the word that's used there in his incarnation. He tabernacled among us. At the heart of the city of Jerusalem was the temple, and at the heart of the temple was the sacrifice. Jesus is that sacrifice. Those who are coming to Jesus, trusting in his sacrifice for sin, that's what Jerusalem pointed to. It speaks of that worship that is now above, that we are mystically joined to whenever we come together for worship. And it points us to the new heavens and the new earth. All these things are the deeper, greater, higher meanings of Jerusalem. We're looking forward to going to Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Last time I mentioned that martyr Wolfgang Such at Martyr and Reformation times, being burned at the stake. And as they were lighting the fire, he began to sing Psalm 122. I was glad to hear them saying, to the Lord's house, let us go. And then you think of the second verse. For our feet will soon be standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And you think of a saint here on earth being martyred and looking forward to heaven and singing those words then my feet will soon be standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Even in the Old Testament, true believers never focused ultimately on the land or on an earthly city. Hebrews 11, when we read of Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It's spiritual and eternal, never ultimately or exclusively a focus on an earthly place, even Jerusalem. So you see, in one sense, to speak about or to think about Jerusalem is something that a Christian uh, doesn't need to do. Physical Jerusalem, that is. We are not Zionists in an earthly geopolitical sense. We are not to live in Old Testament times as Christians. Uh, Christ has come. There's a glorious, greater glory in the new covenant. You look through the book of Hebrews, uh, greater temple, greater sacrifice, greater covenant, greater mediator, greater high priest. There are some Christians today that I, I think, maybe with good intentions, but but go back to different ways uh, to live in in an Old Testament way. Now, if you don't want to eat pork, that's fine with you. That's fine, don't, don't eat pork. But don't come to the Old Testament and say there's somehow I would be deficient in my life as a Christian if I didn't enter back into these Old Testament pictures and shadows. Boys and girls... I have a picture of uh, my wife in my wallet. And often when I'm away from home, if I open my wallet, I see it, and that's nice. And it's good, and it's helpful to me. But could you imagine if on the day that I got married, and we set our wedding vows, and Tara was there, and then at the end of the wedding, I just said, well, that's okay, I'm just going to go my own way because I've got your picture. And that's good enough for me. That would be a silly thing to do, wouldn't it? Because when you have a picture, it's one thing, but when you have the reality, that's a much better thing. Who would go back to a picture when you have the reality? Christians have been tempted to do this throughout the ages, to live in Old Testament times. Irenaeus, an early church father, wrote of a group called the Ebionites. They had several issues with their understanding, their theology, but this is what Irenaeus said. They use the gospel according to Matthew only and repudiate the apostle Paul, maintaining that he was an apostate from the law they practice, uh, apostate from the law. They practice circumcision, persevere in the observance of those customs which are commanded by the law, and are so Judaic. So living like Old Testament Jews. So Judaic in their lifestyle that they even adore Jerusalem as if it were the house of God. So you see, that that is not how we are to think and live. We are also not dispensationalists, having a view that somehow God has two people and two ways of salvation and two programs for human history. One for physical Israel... And one for the church in their definition. Uh, to go back, dispensationalists want to go they say at some point it's going to go back, the temple will be rebuilt, there will be sacrifices again on the altar, all these things. That's going back to the picture. It's going back to the picture when the reality has come. When Jesus, when Jesus was crucified. The curtain in the temple was miraculously torn from top to bottom. And think of it this way. What God has rent asunder, let no man put together. That's what they want to do. They want to sew up the curtain again and go back to those old ways. Focusing too literalistically from prophecy on Jerusalem. Now we pray for Jerusalem. Like we pray for Russell and Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver. We pray for Jerusalem. We pray for Moscow and Mumbai and Beijing. The gospel, there is a sense, the gospel should go to the Jew first. That I think is a principle still for us. The gospel should go to the Jew first. But the gospel should go to the Jew first. Not Old Testament ceremonial law, but the gospel should go to the Jew first. Not some hope of a return to Jerusalem and to the temple. And so we shouldn't think of Jerusalem in that way, but we do speak of Jerusalem, in a sense, as a metaphor for the church and then also for heaven. And so because of that, we can, in our day, Sing Psalm one twenty two, read it, sing it with understanding as being perfectly fitting and appropriate. As those who even now dwell in the Jerusalem that is above, Mount Sinai, which is you know you, you read in Hebrew, uh, in Galatians four, Mount Sinai is present Jerusalem. The law, they have no redeemer. So the present Jerusalem is Mount Sinai, but we are, our mother is Jerusalem that is above in the gospel, in Christ. Perfectly fitting and appropriate as those who dwell in the Jerusalem that is above in Christ and who are eagerly awaiting the new Jerusalem in glory. To sing these words today in our day is not just returning to the Old Testament, but seeing what the Old Testament really meant. We do it in other ways all the time. If that's still a struggle for you to say, why are we using this Old Testament language all the time? Because it's the God-given picture of these spiritual realities. But we do that all the time. In other ways, Christians do it all the time and just don't think of what they're actually doing because it's so common. Don't we call Jesus the Lamb of God? Have you heard that language before? Jesus the Lamb of God? Do you have any problems saying Jesus is the Lamb of God? I hope you don't. But but where do you get that? Don't you get that from the Old Testament? Isn't that an Old Testament picture? And so becoming a title for Jesus? We use Lamb of God for Jesus all the time without thinking, well, why am I so Old Testament? Because that was the picture that God chose to teach us about Jesus. That's not going back to the Old Testament, but is seeing what or to whom the Old Testament was pointing us. And so we can say tonight, this afternoon, we love Jerusalem. We can sing about Jerusalem. And I hope that we rejoice to go to Jerusalem to the church of Christ on the earth, like Psalm 122, verse 1, and one day to his church in glory. I was glad to hear them say, let's go to Jerusalem. In that high and spiritual sense in Christ, I was glad. From these verses, let me just say five reasons quickly why we should be glad to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem spiritually considered. First of all, it is a place to stand. It's a place to stand. Our feet, verse 2, our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place to stand. It's a blessing to have a place to stand. There's the old saying, you remember from Archimedes, perhaps, give me a lever and I'll move the world. That's part of what he said. He said something more profound than that. He said, give me a lever and a place to stand and I'll move the world. A lever does you no good without a place to stand. What a blessing to have a place to stand. If you're old enough to remember Expo 1967, there was a song written for that event. Uh, The theme song, I think it still is, of Ontario. Give us a place to stand, a place to grow, and call this land Ontario. We have such a great place to live and to stand in Ontario. But Jerusalem is the best place to stand. Because stand in the Bible must always be contrasted with its opposite. Not to sit, but to fall. Adam fell in sin. No one can stand in judgment, Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? You see the meaning there? Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. There's a place to stand in life, and that place is Christ. We have a place to stand, and it's a rock. We stand on the rock in grace. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You took me from the miry pit, from the mud and mire, and you put my feet on a rock. And that rock is Christ. Jerusalem is a place to stand. Jerusalem is a place to belong. Secondly, verse 3. Jerusalem is like a city that is closely compacted together. The, the, the Hebrew is a bit difficult to, to get across and to translate. Jerusalem is joined to itself together. Jerusalem is joined to itself together. What does that mean? Well, geographers would tell us that Jerusalem is surrounded by steep cliffs and ravines. It had to be closely built together. There was no possibility for urban sprawl. There was a closeness and a compactness that arose just from the geography of Jerusalem. But it's a beautiful picture of the church. We belong to Jesus We, as the church, Jesus is the foundation. We are the building. He's building his church, and he builds us as living stones together into the church. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2, 21. We're living stones. We're all connected. This is a picture of the church, closely compacted together. The picture isn't, well, I'm a Christian, I'm way over here doing my thing all by myself, and you're way over there, and maybe we'll just bump into each other once in a while. We are closely compacted together. Christ is building his church, and unity is what he prayed for, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. A unity, a place to belong to Jesus and to one another and having unity together in that. A church should be one in creed, one in heart, one in testimony, in service, in hope, in sympathy. There is no joy in sinful division. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fall, said Jesus. Jerusalem is closely built together. And that's the way we should live as we belong to Jesus and belong to one another as parts of a body. Now, the closer you are together, the more you can rub against each other. And there are lots of things that come. It's easy to go to a big church. We should want a big church. I'm not decrying big church. But it's easy to be anonymous when you go to some churches. And some people like that, to be anonymous. When you're close to other people, you rub together, and what's that called? Friction. Things happen. We say things. We do things. The very blessing of a tight, close unity means that we know each other. And our lives bump into each other in all kinds of ways. And hopefully that's for good, but it's not always. We have to recognize that. That's why the wonderful thing about Jerusalem is that it's a place also to be forgiven. It's a place to be forgiven. That is where the tribes go up, verse 4, the tribes of the Lord to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. According to the statute in verse 4 is actually first in the verse in Hebrew, and so we'll deal with it first. That could mean it was commanded. It was just commanded to go, that we go according to the statute. But the word here is literally testimony. Testimony, that we go up to the testimony of Israel. And again, that might be the word of God, the testimony of the word of God, but it's also used in Exodus 36 of the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the Covenant law where I will meet with you. New American Standard says in front of the mercy seat that is over the Ark of the testimony. And it was there that once a year the high priest took the blood and sprinkled it over the law as the great picture of forgiveness. And so Jerusalem is a place of forgiveness. We go up to the testimony, to the ark, where God in the Old Testament prefigured Christ, the Lamb of God. And we come today to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. It's a joy to go to Jerusalem because there's joy in forgiveness. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, David said in Psalm 51 After he said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Why should we rejoice to go to Jerusalem? Because it's the place where there's forgiveness. The forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. And so then in verse 4, it is a place to worship. This is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. Nothing fosters worship like forgiveness. More than mere fear, more than duty, worshiping is an offering of love to him who first loved us. In John 4, where Jesus says to the woman at the well, those who worship must worship in spirit and truth, the word there for worship literally means to kiss the hand, to kiss the hand that has blessed you. That's what we do when we come in worship. We kiss the son. We say we love God because you first loved us. And in light of that forgiveness, we praise the name of the Lord. Many translations have it, we thank the name of the Lord. Thanksgiving, such a central part to worship. Ten lepers, only one return to give thanks. Ten lepers healed. Grace engenders gratitude. It's a place to be forgiven. It's a place to worship. Last, it's a place to be safe. It's a place to be safe. Verse 5. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. God is sovereign. He has placed Christ upon the throne, and that should bring joy to us. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Psalm 97. We should rejoice that Jesus rules and reigns. He has been given the throne of David. It all was pointing to him and his eternal kingdom. This world is not out of control. There's nothing random. God is sovereign. Christ is swaying a scepter of iron in one hand as he judges, but a scepter of grace in the other as he saves. Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. He said all power and authority has been given to me. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end. Luke 1:32. And so you see we should rejoice that Jesus is reigning on the throne of the universe. Don't put your trust in princes. Psalm 146. You don't have to. There's someone to trust in. Don't take revenge. You don't have to. You shouldn't. Jesus reigns. There are the thrones of judgment. Romans 12, don't leave revenge to the Lord. It is mine to repay. I will revenge, says the Lord. How does Christ execute the office of a king? He executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. To be in Jerusalem... Is a place to be safe. He has delivered us, he is delivering us, and he will deliver us, and we live by faith and not by sight. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Second Timothy four eighteen. Have you ever been to Jerusalem? I hope you can say in a spiritual sense, yes. It's where I live, and it's where I hope to go. It's home. Jerusalem is home for the believer. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob, Psalm 87, 1 and 2. But then Psalm 87, 6 and 7, the Lord will write in the register of the people, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem.